0: Hi, this is Know What I Heard. I'm Jamie. And on this episode, I'm joined by Chris Brooks, who is a sign language interpreter in Kansas City. And I asked Chris to come on the show because I think that his job is very unique and very interesting, but I ended up learning so much about the deaf community. And actually, right before we started recording, I sent Chris a message and said something about hearing impaired, which I thought was like the PC term to use for someone who is deaf, but was corrected. That is actually not the proper term to use. So Chris explains that in the episode and just kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things about the deaf community. So it's very interesting. I would like to point out that the day that we recorded, it was almost 80 degrees in Missouri in November. So Chris was sitting outside because his little boy and very, very pregnant wife were inside napping and I guess the neighbor was mowing or chopping down trees or something was going on next door. So there's some background noise, but you can still hear Chris and what he has to say is absolutely fascinating. So please enjoy this episode and uh, here we go. Here's Chris. What's up? How are you? Doing all right. You? Not too bad.
1: I'm sitting on the back deck.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this and for teaching me some etiquette about the right way to say things. <laughs> You're very welcome. I guess well, if you want to touch on that real fast, <laughs> like, so don't say hearing impaired, huh? So yes. Generally speaking the term hearing impaired is something used and
1: perpetuated by the medical community and the medical perspective of individuals with hearing loss. And the deaf community themselves don't use it because the focus is on impaired and they don't view themselves as impaired. Right. So the deaf community generally uses one of two terms, either hard of hearing or deaf, spelled with a capital D. Gotcha, okay. And so when you talk about Little d deaf versus big d deaf. You're talking about uh, the little d being an audiological loss of hearing versus
0: capital D, which is a cultural identity. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I had no idea because I started, I sent you a message earlier and I wrote, I started to write deaf and then I was like, ugh. I feel like hearing impaired is the more PC term. So I'll run with that. Nope. Failed. That's okay. The vast majority of
1: I mean, the general public knows it as hearing impaired. And there's just so much about the deaf community. Just basic, basic stuff that the mass public just doesn't know or understand. Like the fact that everywhere you look, there's still phone numbers listed for TTY access. Right. TTY is a relic, it's a dinosaur. So the basis of TTY is you have somebody, so the deaf person is doing all of their exchanges in typed english mm-hmm. which for most deaf people that's not their primary language now of course there are exceptions um individuals who prefer to speak for them to voice for themselves they rely on hearing aids they rely on residual hearing um written english might be fantastic for them but there's a significant portion of the population that does not utilize english or prefer to utilize english as their primary language and so it's ineffective So what you have now is video relay service, Okay. which video relay service is, so I actually work as a video relay service interpreter part-time. So I have a cubicle and I have a high def video screen and a high def video camera, and I process phone calls. Okay. And so deaf people will call in using their stationary setups at home. They'll call in using laptop computers or desktops or their cell phones It is an SEC provided service, so that they have equal access to make phone calls to anyone, just like you and I do. Huh? Okay. The range of those phone calls is literally anything. Any phone call that you have ever made to your mom, to your bank, to your credit card, to order pizza, to buy some drugs, to yell at your spouse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, have you had to buy drugs for deaf people? Yes.
1: Really? I have have interpreted drug calls. I've interpreted. Uh, calling to sex shop to ask about toys.
0: Interesting. So is there any time that, like, any guidelines as far as, like, you having to step in in any situation and alert authorities? Or are you kind of like, you know, is there's, it kind of loosey-goosey? There, there was a case a while back, and to be honest with you, I don't actually know where it stood because I don't
1: think that it, it it's really a thing anymore where somebody was discussing the potential plot of, like, a homicide. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, But like, I feel
0: like that would be a good time to not include a third party. Is there a potential for like a deaf person with a really great sense of humor to call and put someone in a situation just because they think it's funny?
1: Oh, for sure. Like, they're, <laughs> it, I mean, deaf people will also, especially if it's an interpreter that they've never met, they might play with you the first time you meet them, whether you're talking about in person or over the video phone. Really? That's funny. I've had had somebody spell their name backwards to see if I caught it. (laughs) I've had deaf people intentionally cuss to see if I would voice it. Which, by the way, don't play with me. If you sign it, it's coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Right? Yep. And hearing people that say, you don't have to sign this, and then proceed to say something that they probably don't want signed, all of it gets signed. My job is not (laughs) there to... to, to, (laughs) Interpret only what you want interpreted. My job is equal access of everything said, heard, and seen.
0: So I guess to kind of backtrack a little bit, you are—I mean, is this is the correct title—a sign language interpreter. I am, yes. Okay. And so, what what does your what does your job look like? What day to day kind of what are you doing? So I suppose I'll, I'll talk pre-COVID because COVID just—it's been a
1: nightmare for community work. But so my primary position is I work as a freelance interpreter, an independent contractor. Um, so I work for several different agencies um, around the Kansas City metro area, and uh, they provide interpreting services everywhere. So K-12 <laughs> schools, um, secondary education, whether it's associates, bachelors, masters, doctoral level, doesn't matter. They provide uh, probably one of the, the largest uses is in the medical community, whether it's hospital services, ER, physical therapy, mental health, um, talking about rehab facilities or psychiatric facilities. Of course, legal is another huge arena, one that I have not entered yet, but there is a huge need for interpreters there. Anything vocational related, so um, interviews, job training, you, you name it. I've even been to somebody's <laughs> house for a family party once.
0: Really? Yep. That's pretty cool. So
1: it was a large get together, and two of the individuals in the household were deaf, uh, and they just wanted to be able to effectively communicate with their friends and family, and so they hired an interpreter to come hang out. That's awesome. I say hang out is a very casual term, but in that instance, like I'm not there. To talk and make friends with the friends and family. I'm not there to eat the cool food and snacks. Like I'm there just to provide language access.
0: Right. So, is there something like an ideal job that you are kind of striving for?
1: You know, I in the Kansas City area, especially, there aren't very many options as far as this like full time traditional career position as an interpreter mm-hmm. because the overwhelming community is driven by independent contractors and you can make a fantastic living and have plenty of work pre-covid and and starting to to grow back again i I mean i was turning work down almost daily because there's just simply there was simply at that time
0: more work than interpreters wow so there's obviously a high need for huge and it's also
1: interestingly enough one of
0: the careers
1: that is overwhelmingly women right and so as a male especially in the medical field you know there's a lot of procedures and times where deaf men have gotten used to because it's been the only option having a female interpreter but obviously not mm. always ideal and so right um definitely outnumbered in that arena
0: but that's i mean some good job security right for sure <laughs> definitely. So, can you kind of talk about um, like how you made the decision to kind of take that career path, and then like what the schooling yeah. was like? Sure. So,
1: I I, uh, I had very little exposure or knowledge to the deaf community or sign language for the overwhelming majority of my life, and I uh, had decided to go back to college, and I uh, I was going to major, or I was majoring. Elementary education and special education, and that was going to be my my new career path. And as part of that, I needed a foreign language. And I saw a little advertisement in a classroom one time for a ASL one workshop or ASL basics, whatever they called it. And I was like, "Huh, well, if it counts, that sounds interesting." So right. I took it, and it was, in fact, very interesting. And so then I proceeded to take the ASL one through three courses at that college. And at that time, the exposure that I had gotten to that had changed my perspective on things. I didn't want to teach anymore. Um, I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do, but I I wanted to do something related to the deaf community and and something that was going to require fluency in sign language. And so uh, after all of my research, uh, there was one school in the state of Missouri uh, that offered a degree program in American Sign Language Interpreting. And that was William Woods University in Fulton, Missouri. Okay. Which is huh. 30 minutes uh, east of Columbia.
0: Right, which is where the, the University of Missouri is. So that's kind of strange that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very small private school, but also is five or 10 minutes away from the Missouri School for the Deaf.
0: Okay. That makes sense. And so
1: I transferred there, um, and it is typically a four year degree program. And just because I had a lot of gen eds from previous, uh, I I did my program in three years. And most, at least in the state of Missouri, uh, there is definitely a a requirement of schooling, if not a push towards having a four-year degree. Okay. And frankly, it's necessary because you can't become fluent in a language effectively just overnight. It just doesn't happen. Right. And so I, I went through the degree program, finished my bachelor's. And then passed my certification test and began working full time in the community in August of 2015.
0: And so what do you, like, what are some of the courses that you're taking in that program? I mean, obviously learning the language, but are you having to learn how to like interpret like what you see on the videos, like how you're supposed to have your body language or like how extensive does that schooling get? Very. If that makes sense? And-
1: yeah, it does. It makes total sense. So there's there's kind of two two sides to the education program, and that is the interpreting side, which at William Woods, when I was there, was taught by two instructors, uh, both of which who held the highest level of certification that you could hold in Missouri at the time, and they taught from the perspective of an interpreter. So this, requ- th- this was later into the program that required already not... Fluency, but definitely competence in the language. Okay. So prior to beginning the interpreting classes, you had uh, deaf culture. So where did American Sign Language come from? You know, what, what's the, the some of the basic historical information about the deaf community? And then you get into ASL 1 through, I think, 6. Plus, there was ASL poetry. There was... Uh, ASL Linguistics, because many people don't realize this, it is not, American Sign Language is not English, but done manually with signs. It has its own rules, its own grammar, its own syntax, its own cultural dialects and regional vocabulary. It's its absolute Hmm. own entity. And unlike English, the range
0: of language style is enormous. So is that kind of universal then? Not at all. So
1: each area that has established sign languages are their own. There are going to be similarities. So like the basis of American sign language came from France. So there are going to be similarities to French and American, but they're their own. British sign language is entirely its own. You'll find similarities of American sign language – across Africa, because a missionary who's the first black man to ever graduate from Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C., which is the the first deaf university in the United States, he then Hmm. went to Africa and set up, I don't remember how many it was, two, three dozen deaf schools across Africa. And so then there's Japanese sign language and there's, I mean, as many spoken languages as there are. There's not that many sign languages, but they're all their own.
0: I just was picturing like the metric system, or where we're like the only assholes who are like, meh. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm like, of course we would be the only ones that are like, we'll have our own sign language thing. Oh, no. Everybody has their own. That makes me feel a little better. So,
1: and just similarly to, you know, uh, the Russian alphabet, Cyrillic is different than our alphabet which is different than Japanese characters or Chinese characters the basis of fingerspelling which is how you, you know like how i introduce myself by name um, each of those has their own manual alphabet if you will that makes sense
0: yeah that's interesting cuz i wasn't sure if you know like you traveled to europe if you could talk with a deaf person anywhere or what what that was like D- deaf people
1: have the ability to communicate even if their sign languages aren't the same just the, i mean there are there are commonalities or being able to essentially mime and gesture if you don't share the same language mm-hmm. um, but there there is a universal sign language that was used at like worldwide deaf events but it's very simplistic compared to each culture's true language that has its own grammar and stuff <laughs> i mentioned very briefly the the wide range of language that you see in deaf people that you don't see in hearing people. And Mm -hmm. um, it was really interesting. I just completed my CEUs, which of course I waited until like the week before they were due um, because it's what I do It's terrible. But one of the courses that I, one of the courses that I was taking was on atypical language and very interesting and frankly horrific phenomenon that you see, Often in the deaf community that you do not hardly ever see in the hearing community is language deprivation. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the hearing community, you have these like horrendous stories. Like uh, there was one, a, a, however many years ago, about a girl that was locked in an attic until she was like thirteen. I mean, it's horrendous. It's terrible. Right. Not only from yes. the physical perspective, but she now has thirteen years of essentially isolation with no language.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now you have. It's some, it's some crazy statistic, like 95 or so percent of deaf children that are born to hearing parents. And in my experience, both with my work and with people that I have met and I'm friends with who are deaf or members of the deaf community, the overwhelming majority of parents do not ever learn to sign.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: And contrary wow. to popular belief and that Technology and medicine are this magic cure-all. Hearing aids do not work for everybody. Cochlear implants do not work for everyone. And even if the cochlear implants are successful, it requires extensive speech therapy. If they choose not to do those or half-step it, as in they do a cochlear implant and, okay, now they're good. They're fixed. But they never do the, the preceding steps, that enormous sponge period for children. You know, from birth mm-hmm. through two, three years old, where everything is new information and they're just picking it up and picking it up and picking it up and they're copying and they're they're trying to make sounds and they're they're imitating language. All of that is gone because they're visual children at that point, because they have a hearing loss. So all of right. that auditory information that you you're taking in all the time, every day, you hear the breeze, the leaves in the trees, you hear the dog bark, the car drive by, all of that environmental information on top of language is just gone. Hmm. And so you have children that maybe their first real exposure to language, they're four years old, five years old. Wow. And then their language model, you just pray to God that it's a high quality interpreter, because unfortunately, the way the system structured is that oftentimes. K through 12 schools is a stepping stone when interpreters first get into the, and not every interpreter that works in schools is an excellent language model.
0: Right.
1: They, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll caveat that with, I have met some, uh, just earth shattering, amazing interpreters whose skill level I, I, if I can get half of where they're at by the end of my career, I'll be satisfied. But I've also met some interpreters who have worked with kids with severe language delays because of what we talked about with the language deprivation Who those language barriers have now been perpetuated by a lack of appropriate language modeling.
0: Right. And
1: so then you end up with kids who have poor language access, whether it's they can't express themselves effectively because the interpreter doesn't understand or whether they never learned the appropriate language to be able to express themselves and then you see behavioral issues but it's not because they have behavioral issues it's because those all these thoughts and the things that you and I have that we you know sometimes choose not to express but we can express them we know how to process them because we have that that language there to be able to make it tangible what is this that I'm feeling why do I feel this way they don't always have that
0: yeah I mean it's just like a baby where they cry because they're Frustrated, or they don't feel well, but they can't communicate that. So you absolutely act out however mm-hmm. you can. Yep. So, man, that's like you just don't think about that, you know? No. I, at the beginning of this, was going to be like, this whole episode is just going to be me asking you how to say stuff, but I was kidding. <laughs> but, like, do you get that constantly? Like, how do you say this? How do you? Do you get tired yeah. of that, or do you like teaching people? <laughs> it, it depends
1: on where I'm at, um, but generally, I redirect those questions away from me to the native user. Gotcha. Because I'm, yes, one of my roles in the interpreting field and in the interpreter role is as the, the language professional and the language expert between two people that do not share the same language.
0: Right. However. It's not my language. So if we're just drinking at a party and I'm like, hey, how do you say whatever? It's just annoying.
1: Oh, it's so annoying
0: because it's always (laughs) cuss words, too. Oh, really? That sounds about right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Ah, I mean, I get it. I used to do it, too. (laughs) And, And okay, so I guess first I should ask, is the correct term just a hearing person like someone that. Isn't deaf? Is that how they're referred to? Yeah. Okay, so a hearing person, is there any things that you think that they should know? Like just some basic words that everybody should know to help assist a deaf person?
1: Such a difficult question. I, I, I I mean, having a basic vocabulary in sign language and making it more prevalent and more understood by the general population would be enormous it'd be huge um i think that if you're working in fields where you interact with a large number of the general public having even just a a basic vocabulary even if you're terrible at it having an effort to to give them some level of equality of language access it's Mm -hmm. it's game-changing i remember when i was when i was in college Mind you, I was, I was learning a brand new language. And when I started at William Woods, I had some basic vocabulary, but I was terrible. I was so bad. But I worked at O'Reilly Auto Parts. And by the time, you know, as I, as I worked my way up through the ASL classes and my, my language got better and better, I had customers who knew which store I worked at and they would come and it didn't matter how many customers were in front of me or who else was available. They would wait for me because even if it was only 10% or 5% easier, the ability to communicate in their preferred language, it, it was worth it for them.
0: Yeah, And absolutely. so
1: if you work in law enforcement or you work in the medical setting or you, I don't know, you work at a bank, I mean, anywhere, frankly, if you interact with the general public, I think it, it's beneficial to have some level of, basic vocabulary the caveat to that is you can't just learn it and quit because like any language you know i took i don't know three years of spanish when i was in high school i have none of it because i don't use it
0: right are there things that that hearing people do that you see that are maybe not intentionally like inconsiderate or disrespectful of deaf people that we should be aware of
1: yeah i there are so as you and i talked at the beginning just the term hearing impaired versus deaf or hard of hearing. And, the, and the, mm-hmm. the difference between that is just a very personal decision about where they, where they identify in relation to the deaf community. You know, in, in my work, I often see um, that people address me, even though I'm not there in a role where I, I I'm there to be acknowledged. My job is to, to provide, as I mentioned earlier, language access between two people that share so many things in common, except for the language. And so right. when you say, tell him, tell her, do you know, does she, blah, 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 you can speak directly to them. You can look directly at them, make eye contact with them. You know, I, I position myself. So if, we, if we're with two, two people, say, having an interview, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're interviewing somebody who's deaf. I will be ideally behind you, so gotcha. the, okay, you can't see me. I'm not distracting to you, and the deaf person is able to constantly maintain eye contact between you and me, so that you know they want to they want that rapport, that connection with whoever it is that they're talking to, but they need yeah. access to the language be the interpreter. So I think that one of the most fundamental things that you can do is when you're interacting with somebody who's deaf remember that they're just another person that just doesn't share the same language and so especially if you're working through an interpreter you know addressing them directly instead of about them to the interpreter right well so the the whole covid situation has been really interesting because everyone's wearing masks and for many as part of this is a a sort of a, a side comment but um American Sign Language and Sign Language in general um, is not just to do with your hands and how you move them and where they are in relation to your body. Your facial expressions do everything else. My hands are what I say, my face is how I say it. So, masks have been really, really challenging for the deaf community. For that, you know, because as an interpreter, I go many, many places and I, I wear a mask. Side note, the clear mm-hmm. masks, great idea. They're horrendously uncomfortable, and they almost immediately fog up. And you can't breathe through plastic. I was
0: wondering about that, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: awful. And one of the, one of the medical facilities that I go to on a regular basis, they actually, because of safety issues, because of the fact that there's plastic, you're not even allowed to wear them at that facility. Hmm. Um, but so, interacting with interpreters, challenging, but we can work through it. Interacting with hearing people, you know, despite the fact that there's a significant decrease in understanding when, you're, when deaf people are lip-reading, and if you've never legitimately tried to lip-read, it's very, very difficult, even if you're good at it, and you will miss colossal amounts of information. But with the right. masks, that ability to communicate via lip-reading is gone. And so especially in the time of COVID, if you come across, if you're working at a grocery store or you're doing whatever and you come across an interaction with a deaf person, realize that it's stressful for them just as it might be stressful for you not being able to communicate with them effectively. So be patient, take your time, You know, use whatever resources you have available. You have a smartphone in your pocket with text function. Um, there's so many alternatives. Get out a piece of paper write back and forth. Be respectful of you know the fact that they are trying to express themselves and understand you <laughs> it's a it's a two way street you gotta work
0: together yeah yeah that's I didn't even think about like the mask situation mm-hmm.
1: it's been really really challenging
0: so in as far as like using the terms correctly if there's someone who is you know not not completely deaf but hard of hearing as you said is that that's the right term to use for that person like if they have hearing aids and are so, partially deaf
1: so Deaf is deaf or hard of hearing is, is going to be this this really fluid range of, of individuals. You have some people who identify as deaf who, with the use of their hearing aids, are able to make phone calls, auditory phone calls. But then okay. you have other people who are going to identify as deaf who, a, a 747 could fly 150 feet overhead and they would never hear it. Right. But it comes down to... What is my preferred language? Where does my cultural identity lie? How does my interaction and my involvement with the deaf community identify who I am? So really, it's just it's a very personal decision. The idea of of someone being deaf is not a it does not dictate how much or how little of a hearing loss they have.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I just didn't want to you know, I, ha- I have friends that are hard of hearing, and I would never want to offend them by saying, yeah, they're deaf, when the common misconception is that that would only be a person that is completely deaf and cannot hear anything. You know what I mean? Like, I,
1: no, I Yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. So I, I guess here's where I don't like when people get too caught up on what words specifically to use. It drives me nuts. And unfortunately, that's our—that's the world that we currently live in. So let's talk about if you have uh, an aunt, uncle, grandparent, whatever, who they are hearing and they have been hearing their entire life. And now they can't hear anything because they've had a hearing loss. So that person, you can say hard of hearing, but when we're talking about cultural identity in relation to the deaf community, hard of hearing means something else. Your Family member, your relative, is a hearing person who now has a hearing loss. Okay. If you are a member of the deaf community, let's say, this is a, a very gross generalization, so let me just throw that caveat out there first. A person who identifies as hard of hearing most likely will have, or more often than not will have, cochlear implants or use hearing aids to leverage their residual hearing that they currently have. They may choose to voice for themselves a lot or most of the time. They may interact with the deaf community some, maybe not. As opposed to someone who is capital D deaf, that is a a cultural identity. They primarily use sign language as their preferred mode of communication. They interact with the deaf community as like their core group. There's a very high chance they attended a residential school or a, a, a deaf school, some of which have dorms. Some of them are mass commuter students. So like the, the one local to me is the Kansas School for the Deaf in Awake. A lot of okay. those kids don't live in the dorms because it's right in the Kansas City metro area and a lot of those students commute, but there are still students that live in the dorms.
0: Well, and it probably makes a big difference for like the, the kids that you were saying earlier that their parents or family members maybe didn't learn sign language that at that point it's probably more comfortable for them to be in dorms with other people who Absolutely. they can speak freely with one, so
1: 1 100%
0: yes that's very interesting
1: just imagine you know how how awful was like middle school it's horrible yes so, like <laughs> wh- what is happening to my body like i don't know how to express myself i'm trying to figure out how to deal with my emotions now imagine yeah. that experience But there is one person that you can communicate directly with, and they're an adult, and they follow you around all day. Right. That's the experience of many, many deaf kids across the United States. Man. There are some schools that have just phenomenal deaf programs, and there's dozens of deaf children, and there's dozens of interpreters, and they, they have phenomenal community within that school district. and. Instead of having one interpreter that you see all day, every day, you see different interpreters all the time,
0: and you
1: have access to peers who use the same language. And that that can be an excellent opportunity as well.
0: That's incredible. So are there any like misconceptions about the deaf community that you think should be addressed?
1: Deaf people are exactly the same as hearing people. They just can't hear. This, this idea that deaf people are intellectually or cognitively less than hearing people, it is in a lot of ways perpetuated by what we discussed earlier about language deprivation, Mm -hmm. which is a serious systemic issue that is, you know, we're going to try hearing aids, and then we're going to try cochlear implants, and then we're going to try speech therapy, and then we're going to try this, and this, and this, and this, and and none of them work. Okay, now you're eight years old and we'll let you have sign language. Gotta stop got to stop because then what you have is someone who is eight years old or even five years old who has missed pivotal years of language and brain development that will impact them for the rest of their lives and jeez and so just like we're in in the the culture that we're seeing today we're trying to make this push to instead of see a person for one thing about them See them for who they are as a person. Same thing mm-hmm. for the deaf community. You know, uh, I've unfortunately uh, been privy to calling about job opportunities, interpreting job interviews, and not not to throw another oddism or another another ism at people that they haven't heard, but oddism is a very real thing, unfortunately, and that is the discrimination against people based on the hearing loss, and hmm. it is a very, very real thing, unfortunately. And what's baffling about it is just like all of the other isms, it's a federally protected right. And if you have a, a deaf person out there who applies for a job and they meet all of the qualifications, then they blow the interview out of the park and then they get turned down the job because they were deaf. It's an open shut lawsuit.
0: But it happens. Hmm. It happens all the time. Oh, I'm sure. So if you were to hire a deaf person is that a situation where the company would also need to hire an interpreter for them or special equipment? Yes. Yeah. Like what yeah. way? Would... So there, okay. and
1: there, there, are, uh, so this is, this is where you get into the Americans with disabilities act. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't know how the business side of it works. If they get federal funds to cover those costs, but right. the Americans with disabilities act protects deaf people's right to access. To communication. So when they go to the hospital, deaf people have a right to have a sign language interpreter there. Hmm. When deaf people have an, a job interview, they have a federally protected right to have a sign language interpreter there. Well, of course, there are caveats. If you have a business with three people, interpreters are expensive. But there's also a lot of interpreters in the deaf community in situations like those where pro bono services are available, but they have to be willing to make a phone call.
0: So, are there cases where you could get hired full time to be an interpreter for someone at a business?
1: I suppose it's possible, but generally speaking, you're not going to have one deaf person at a position where they have a full time interpreter. Right. Uh, Because the cost to benefit ratio is just not there. Right. Um, What they would generally do is utilize people like myself where they Google interpreting agencies in the Kansas City area, and they'll come up with a list, and they call one of them and say, hey, I have a staff meeting on Thursday. I need an interpreter. Okay. And then they contract out for a two-hour period.
0: So do you prefer the, like, more one-on-one stuff? Do you like the – because I have seen some of your footage of you interpreting on TV – you know, even yeah, even for some puppets, I saw that the other day. That oh was... my god, that was a
1: rough <laughs> that was a rough day too. It, it, they, uh, my earbud would not stay in place, and I was like, "Of course, it's today with the puppets, and I know my wife's gonna watch." <laughs> it's a that's a weird experience, and I I just have forced myself not to go there mentally. Otherwise, it gets in my head and freaks me out. Those uh, briefings. Go out nationally it's, hmm. it's not just it's not just locally that they're seen, but I don't enjoy doing music
0: okay I wasn't I, sure if that was something you looked forward I, to doing, and maybe that was like where you wanted your career to take a turn towards uh, or if you were like,, oh, it's abs- a job, but God damn abs- it, I don't want abs- to
1: <laughs> absolutely not i've done <laughs> I've done musicals, I've done plays. I've done music and it is basically the bane of my existence. I hate it. It it takes it's it's a performance. You are you are right. providing language access, but and I'm just I just not it's not me. Now I was
0: like, it's like you'll see someone by like Beyonce and they're like, they got some possess. And yes. I just is that one thing you had to learn in school was like You're boring the shit out of me, Chris. Like, let's kick it up a little bit. Like you're at like (laughs) a community theater
1: rehearsal. Oh, God. So one of the first assignments that I did during my internship was uh, Tarzan, the musical. (laughs) Mind you, I'm like, so my internship was during the spring semester of my senior year. So it's like a community performance that's being put on for a bunch of kids. And so my team and I are standing in front of the stage. We got our own little light, deaf people in the audience, and we're starting, and literally this is how like the play the musical opens. Is there's like people on stage and then the gorillas and shit come out from underneath the stage <laughs> and smash right into us. So there's like people coming out from underneath the stage, banging into my legs. I've been an interpreter for like three days. I don't know how to handle this. It's absolutely just nuts. And so, you know, number one, as an interpreter, you just, you just got to roll with whatever happens because you see some weird, weird parts of life. But at, at, when you're talking about what I enjoy doing, I love doing medical work. I love, um, I, I got exposed to some mental health when I was in my internship and I just now for about the last year, I've held the certification enough to where I can really get my feet wet in that portion of the profession. I'm really excited <laughs> about it. Um, cool. But music and that stuff, it, it's just not, it's not me. Wow. If you want to put me on stage for like, it, this sounds so boring to most people, but like a graduation, you know, where they have like the, the former collegiate whoever it is that's gonna do a really cool presentation and
0: like yeah that that kind of stuff is fun to sounds terrible right a little bit <laughs> but <laughs> it all it all makes me anxious though like being on stage interpreting anything because i i have seen interpreters and it's like i i can hear but i still watch the interpreter because i'm like yeah it's just fascinating in my mind, I would just be like, "Oh God, Even all what, though, is you, on me." You, you go into a bit of an
1: autopilot. So, you know, uh, if I start in, in most cases like that, if I have to think really hard about what and how to interpret, something bad's happening hmm. because my my vocabulary and my comfort level with the English language and my comfort level with my fluency in American Sign Language, I'm really happy with where those are at. Right, and in a case like on stage or in front of a camera, those are not the moments where I want to be like, oh, God, what do I, how do I say that? Because if you're having those thoughts, then you probably shouldn't be standing there first. Now, we talked about this huge range of language in the deaf community, and we talked about how language deprivation is so pervasive in the deaf community. One of the most fun and hardest groups to work with are some of those people that have really, really atypical, really unique language. And, you know, you might be doing a counseling session or, I mean, anything. It could be a job. You never know. Um, Whatever it is. And working through those really unique and really tough language styles, I find that so enjoyable. Really? Uh, Yeah. And the story of really how I ended up being just fascinated with that. So during my internship, the first week or so was supposed to be observational as opposed to hands up, meaning I'm the one actively interpreting. And my mentor and I went to SUSE. I would say that they were probably in their 50s and it was essentially a life planning meeting to determine, to discuss with their caseworker, like this is what you do every day These are what you enjoy to do for fun. This is your job. Like, it was literally a binder that was their life. Okay. So this was somebody who was cognitively lower functioning, really depended on friends and family, and just didn't have the opportunities to do things that many of us did, including having access to this book that is literally their, their life in written form. They hadn't had an interpreter at one of these meetings in like two or three. And yet there's this printed book here that is everything about who they are, and they've never had access to And it was supposed to be a short meeting, and the person asked for my mentor to interpret it. So this is what you call a site translation. So this is actual translating versus interpreting. So you're taking just documents and translating them into American Sign Language. Okay. You start going page by page by page, and I'm watching my mentor... And has to do lots and lots of expansion about these different complex parts and try and break it down into into clear language that this person's able to understand. And he goes for maybe 15 minutes and the deaf person stops him and says, okay, his turn and points to me. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, oh boy. Okay. And it was uh, a really unique challenge and an amazing responsibility. And. Uh, in a very selfish way, it was extremely gratifying to be able to provide that access that they've been denied for so long.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So in a little bit of a way, I enjoy
1: my job for very selfish reasons, but not at the same time, if that's not confusing enough.
0: <laughs> no, that that makes sense. That makes you good at what you do. Because it's like, even if you have an interpreter, it doesn't mean that you're getting that like connection or... Like that, absolutely. I don't know that same understanding yep. of the the language. So that has to feel so amazing when you find that person that can bring that for you. So yeah, when you go to those jobs and
1: it's something really important, and even if it's not something important, but you go in and you just you you walk out of that job knowing you absolutely kicked ass at it. And not for me, it's not for me at all. That feeling right. is is very, it's, it's a selfish sort of thing. Like, I did an amazing job with my work, but it's it's for the people that I was there for, which is right. the hearing person and the deaf person. You know, that deaf person right. is going to have a surgery, and, you know, maybe they're nervous. because It's a surgery, and they're in the hospital, and there's risks, and they're giving them medication, and they're going to be given anesthesia. And then you have a nurse come in, and, oh, God, how do I communicate with them? But then they have the interpreter there and they're like, listen, it's no big deal. This is what your risks are. This is what we're going to do. This is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to go. And suddenly that access to communication is the gateway to relieving all of those nerves, relieving all that tension and, and what they're scared about. Right. One, one little step to having equal access to everybody
0: else. Right. For sure. That's amazing. I think it's really incredible what you do. I told you that the first time I met you. I was like, wait, you what? That is awesome. I've never known anyone who's a sign language interpreter. Is there anything else you want people to know about what you do or the deaf community or just anything? Take a sign language class. Okay. If you're in the Kansas City
1: area, the whole person is an independent living center in uh, downtown Kansas City. I'm not sure how often, or especially with the COVID situation happening, how that's going, but they offer a a community sign language class. To my knowledge, it's always been instructed by deaf individuals, (laughs) and it is a phenomenal resource, not only for the deaf community, but the community in general. The deaf community is a a pretty pretty incredible place, and I I feel very honored to be allowed as a member of the community. Just learn. Learn more. Learn more. The more you know about different right. people, the, the more opportunities you give yourself and the rest of your community.
0: For sure. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I love talking with you as always, and I learned a ton about the deaf community. So thank you very, very much. Um, And thank you guys for listening. I appreciate your support. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast and will continue to listen. If you have any ideas for the show, if you've got interview ideas, if you've got articles that you think might be good for a tidbits episode anything if you just want to say hi shoot me an email the email address is know what I heard at gmail.com you can also message me through the facebook page which is know what i heard podcast would love to hear from you guys and again thank you so much for listening be safe be healthy be kind and until next time hey know what i heard